Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Now today, as you might have noticed from the title of our episode, we are embarking on a new composer exploration. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we will be highlighting the life and art of Carol Shimanovsky, one of the less mainstream composers we've talked about thus far. And we'll be looking at his two-movement work, Nocturne, and Tarantella. Carol Szymanowski was born in 1882 in Timoshovka, which is a city located in what is now Ukraine. He began to learn piano at a young age in his well-to-do home with his father as a teacher, and he apparently also dabbled in writing little pieces for piano even as a child. He did eventually study music more formally at the Neuhaus School of Music, and after graduation, he moved to Warsaw, Poland for his college music education. There, he took lessons at the Warsaw Music Institute in both harmony and composition, and he made a lot of friends. Oh, the college years. Hey, we're college friends. (laughs) And what does a young man do with friends? but travel and try to change the world. And indeed, Szymanowski determined that to improve the appeal of his music, he would need to leave Poland and expand his horizons. His first big trip was in 1905, when he traveled to Italy with friends Gregor Fietelberg, Ludomir Rzicki, and Apollinary Szeluto. This group had dubbed themselves the Company of Young Polish Composers, and their mission was to promote the appreciation of new Polish music, rather than just Chopin all the time. No hate to Chopin, of course. He's excellent. We love him. (laughs) He is. But this period was extremely valuable for Szymanowski as well, because it got him acquainted with the works of the great German romantics, including Wagner. As a young man, and really throughout his life, Szymanowski was frequently traveling around all of Europe, and he even established ties with a publishing house in Berlin with the hopes that this international publishing would make his works more widespread, and to a degree, this did work. He continued to travel for years, though, hitting all the major music centers, France, Italy, Germany, Austria, and he even traveled into northern Africa during one adventure. And during all these trips, he was able to perform his works to high acclaim. At the start of World War I, Szymanowski's travels were, of course, limited. So rather than travel to new places, he stayed mostly in Poland and ruminated on what he had learned during his travels. He began to distance himself from the German idioms that had become so widespread, and instead focused on more ancient sounds of the Mediterranean and the Eastern world. And it was during this time the piece that we're looking at today was composed, taking inspiration from these less classical sounds. And Szymanowski was in a unique position during the war. Unlike a lot of his contemporaries in Great Britain that we've spoken of in past episodes, 
who did enlist in the military, Shimanovsky had long suffered from a poorly managed knee injury and thus was unfit to serve. During World War I, though, Shimanovsky wasn't free from conflict. The 1917 Bolshevik Revolution unfortunately destroyed his family's home, so he moved to Warsaw yet again. Following the war, when he could travel more freely, Shimanovsky was able to take a trip to the United States for concert performances, and there he was quite well received. He also found a new favorite city in Poland, where he would spend a great deal of his time, Zakopane. This was a Polish mountain town, and tended to have slightly different folk sounds than the rest of Poland or Ukraine. By 1926, Szymanowski had developed enough of a reputation that he was offered the directorship of the Cairo Conservatory, which is a name you don't often hear as a hub for music, and maybe, maybe we'll Ellison, look into we that in the future. I think we should. <laughs> However intriguing this place might have been, he did turn down the position, opting instead for the position of master of the Warsaw Conservatory in his homeland. Unfortunately, his health also took a turn for the worse around this time. He was diagnosed with tuberculosis and often had to travel to Austria and Switzerland for treatments at sanatoriums. This time was also a transition into a new musical period for him as well. Szymanowski began to delve really into the folk music of Poland and incorporated that very tonal sound into his works. He also found that this paired nicely with the models of Impressionism. Again, very tonal, but with unusual and open harmonies. Now, unfortunately, throughout his life, Szymanowski's sound was often shunned in Poland. But after his death in 1937, he became widely celebrated and was eventually buried in the crypt of the most distinguished Poles located in Krakow. From then on, he was very well regarded within Poland for having promoted Polish music around the world, and he made a good name for himself while doing it. And now, though he's not talked about as much, his inventive music does truly deserve recognition. So then, let's pay homage to that music and delve into the Nocturne and Tarantella. As we mentioned earlier, this piece was written during the middle period of Szymanowski's life during World War I, and the story about how it came about shows that it is meant to be taken kind of lightly, maybe a bit of a musical joke. <laughs> so apparently around 1915 or 1916, depending on who you ask, Szymanowski was staying with friends at an estate in Sarutsi. Apparently, the host, Josef Yaroshinsky, had left the guests unattended for a time, and so they got up to a bit of mischief. As one does. Indeed, one of Szymanowski's friends, August Ivansky, discovered the liquor cabinet of Yaroshinsky, and they broke into a bottle of well-aged cognac. With the influence of the alcoholic discovery, hilarity ensued, and soon Szymanowski had come up with the basis for the Tarantella melody. And after a bit of filling out, and of course adding on the nocturne, the piece was dedicated to Ivansky, quote, the cognac finder. <laughs> However, the piece itself wasn't publicly performed until 1919, and not published until 1921. So let's get ourselves into the music. First up, of course, is the titular nocturne, which takes its influence from the Middle Eastern sounds Szymanowski was experimenting with, as well as also a Spanish-style dance section in the middle. 
The nocturne is, of course, a night piece, which is what it translates to. And in this case, it sounds a bit like a dream at night rather than real life. It starts with the A section that sounds very mysterious. And while this melody may seem dissonant and atonal, it's actually quite the opposite. The violin is playing double stops of parallel fifths, which is not a traditionally quote-unquote allowed harmonic movement in the European sense. We do, however, have some parallel chromatic movement that gives it a sort of fading or melting sound. We then come to a second theme, which is very complementary to the first theme, both utilizing downward chromatics that get to our resolution notes. But this time, we don't have that parallel fifth movement. The violin and piano also have a little bit of call and response within the 30-second notes here. Then, after a downward spiral from the violin, the piano pulls us into a 6-8 time signature with a much more Spanish-influenced bass line. violin melody that comes from this section is clear and joyous, a sharp contrast from the somewhat wishy-washy A section. We also encounter tempo changes throughout. It gives the whole thing a bit of a dreamlike quality where it all fits together, but you're not particularly sure how you got to each section from the previous one. Now here's just a brief interlude of our first theme, basically a callback to an earlier dream sequence before we start back in earnest with the dance. Here's a section with an interesting interaction between the violin and piano. Now we are back in 6-8 time, and the piano is just playing straight 8th notes, but jumping between the bass and treble. Meanwhile, the violin is playing the Spanish theme, which is very straight as well, with just a few 16th notes thrown in. However, since the piano had previously been playing a groovy bass line rhythm, this stark contrast with the eighth notes catches us off guard and almost makes it sound like some major syncopation is happening even when there isn't. <laughs>
And now we're finishing out the ABA form by heading back to that A section. However, the piano can't help but play some Spanish rhythms still. At the very end of the movement, we hear the parallel fifths again. However, it's not just the fifths. We also have fourths, because the violin is actually asked to play quadruple stops rather than just double stops. So essentially, there are two groups of fifths, and they're each a fourth away from each other. The tarantella is then played ataka to the nocturne, meaning without a pause. It too is written in ABA form. After a brief and startling introduction after the nocturne, we then get right into the tarantella theme. This melody almost sounds like the famous and almost stereotypical Tarantella Napolitana. You just look it up. You'll know it. Yes, you will. <laughs> now, this, of course, makes sense, because Szymanowski had traveled to Italy many times at this point, and also recall that this theme was written in a joyous and tipsy state, so it's meant to be poking a little fun. <laughs> the piano and violin also do a good job of sharing the melodic bits. Here we have another nice call and response. We then seem to be really building up to something. The violin keeps bouncing around the chromatics and the circle of fifths to some degree as well. something is an even more frantic statement of the theme. And we of course play around with more and more variations as the piece goes on. Szymanowski seems to be able to pick out just one beat within the theme to then elaborate over an entire chord progression. And as the music pushes forward, Szymanowski uses distinct differentiations of legato and staccato sections to provide even more variation and interest to the listener. And finally, we make it to the B section which is a little more lyrical in nature, but still firmly rooted in the Tarantella style. 
Throughout this section, the piano seems to have more moving notes than the violin, but it's still just in the background. This gives a bit of a busy texture to the background, but it adds interest to the otherwise slow melody in the violin. get to listen to the piano, because eventually it takes over the melody. However, the violin continues to play much more rapid and ever higher notes, and so on first listen, it may sound like the piano is still just playing background material. The B section is quite short, and soon we get back to the A section. And actually, we start out with an exact repetition of the melody from the beginning. And then, talk about a musical joke. Here, the violin is just slip-sliding around all the strings, bending the notes- Potentially how they were slip-sliding all the way around their friend's estate. <laughs> but they are bending the notes up and down the whole time, really not deciding where the pitch could possibly be. But following that, we get serious again. This workup passage is some of the grandest writing style in the entire piece. And from there, really, until the end, we're just pulling out all the stops the double stops, that is, the violin is sawing away with them, and the piano is bouncing between octaves with the bass lines and playing the melody at the same time before moving into a duple under triple feel. And did someone let a horse in here? A horse? A horse. Uh, oh, sorry, what I actually mean. The violin is playing a downward chromatic scale that is trilled and glissandoed at the same time. Just like a horse. <laughs> and wow, what a wild ride. So as, as you can hopefully hear, Szymanowski was an incredibly inventive composer for his time, and he synthesized a whole world of ideas into his own unique musical voice. And listener, if this is your first time ever hearing of Szymanowski, congratulations. It certainly was mine. <laughs> and you know, actually mine as well. He'd actually been on my radar for a bit because I'd seen his name pop up in the IMSLP directories. Um, but he definitely is, as we mentioned at the top of this, a much more under-the-radar composer. But I think he's gaining more traction nowadays. Definitely one of those composers that gets more famous after they die, I think. Absolutely. He, des he definitely deserves a second or a third or a fourth listen. Mm -hmm. And apparently his symphonies have been described by some as, quote, life-changing. So go take a gander at those. They have recordings definitely on YouTube, Spotify, etc. So you can find them easily. 
And if what you've just experienced on this podcast could be described as life-changing, go ahead and uh, share that life-changing experience with your friends, family, colleagues, other interested people on the street. Um, <laughs> Change a life today. Like, share our exactly. podcast. <laughs> Change a life today. Share the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. <laughs> and, of course... Follow us wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify. Leave reviews on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all that great stuff. It's very much appreciated. So thank you to those who do. And for the Coffee House Life Changing Music Podcast, my name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Shimonovsky's Nocturne and Tarantella was performed by Angelo Zhang and Dinah Vionstein. You can find The Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Music